Now, reading this morning is continuing our series in the book of Revelation, uh, Revelation chapter 2 and verses 18 through to 29, uh, and Ruth Donaldson is going to read uh, for us today. Revelation chapter 2, verse 18 to 29. It reads, To the angel of the church in Theatira, write, These are the words of the Son of God, whose eyes are like blazing fire, and whose feet are like burnished bronze. I know your deeds, your love and faith, your service and perseverance, and that you are now doing more than you did at first. Nevertheless, I have this against you. You tolerate that woman Jezebel, who calls herself a prophet. By her teaching, she misleads my servants into sexual immorality and the eating of food sacrificed to idols. I have given her time to repent of her immorality, but she is unwilling. So I will cast her on a bed of suffering, and I will make those who commit adultery with her suffer intensely, unless they repent of her ways. I will strike her children dead. Then all the churches will know that I am he who searches hearts and minds, and I will repay each of you according to your deeds. Now I say to the rest of you in Theatira, to you who do not hold to her teaching and have not learned certain so-called deep secrets, I will not impose any other burden on you except to hold on to what you have until I come. To the one who is victorious and does, will, does my will to the end, I will give authority over the nations. That one will rule them with an iron scepter and will dust them to pieces like pottery just as I have received authority from my Father. I will also give that one the morning star. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Amen. May God bless the reading of his words. Let's just pray before we look at God's Word. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your Word, which in all its parts can speak into our hearts and our minds, into our lives, into our situations. And Father, we recognize this is a a difficult passage this morning, that often in Revelation uh, we have so many symbols and signs that can be uh, difficult for us. Uh, But we pray that you might be with us through your Holy Spirit today, and you would give us understanding, and you would remind us of your goodness and your grace. For we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. 
As you know, last week was the October holidays. It was the half term. And so Anna and uh, the boys and I went down uh, to London to visit family. And as we were down in London anyway, we decided as a a treat for the boys uh, that we would go to Chessington, uh, where there is a zoo and there is a theme park. Now, I don't mind going to the zoo. I like looking at the animals, the tigers and the giraffes and uh, all the other animals. Uh, The theme park, I am not so keen on. And so, unlike John and Alistair, who are basically adrenaline junkies, um, Anna and I went round, and Anna too, to be quite fair, um, I would much rather just sit somewhere and drink a coffee. You know, let's not, you know, make things too exciting. Um, but obviously the boys were with us, and so we decided that we would go on, on some of these rides. And John and I went on this ride called the Cobra. And it was one of these rides where, uh, it's hard to describe it, a big, huge roundabout kind of thing is all it was. It spun round, and it went up and down and roundabout. Thrilling, I'm sure. And Anna took a picture uh, of John and I on this ride. And John's face is a picture of delight. He is smiling. He is enjoying this right. What does my face show? It just shows me hanging on, holding on. That's all I could do. And Anna was in fits of giggles just watching me. Now, some people love the rides at a theme park. Some people not so much so. But the fact is, once you're on a roller coaster or some other ride, once you're on, there's no going back. There's no getting off. You just have to hold on. You can't say, look, stop, I've had enough. You just have to go through with it. You have to go through with it until it is finished. Holding on. Sometimes that's all we can do. And sometimes that's all that we need to do. Now, in today's letter to the church in Thyatira, or Thyatira, we we couldn't quite work out the pronunciation. David Suchet, if you ever go into Bible Gateway, okay, and you want to know the pronunciation of words, David Suchet reads the whole Bible. And so we we read it on Wednesday night at the prayer meeting, and he pronounces it in a very weird way, is all we could say. I've always pronounced it Thyatira and a number of other preachers, so that's how I'm going to pronounce it uh, today. I think Ruth's pronunciation is much closer to probably uh, what it was. So today's letter is to the church in Thyatira, and we see in verse 25 that Jesus says to the church in Thyatira that they are to, to hold on to what they have until he returns, until he comes. The church is simply to hold on. Now, why is that? Well, today's letter to, to this church in Thyatira. Thyatira is the smallest place written to amongst the seven churches in Revelation. But although it's the, the smallest place, what you might notice is this letter, out of all the seven letters, is the longest of the seven letters. And so there were considerable issues within this church. Now, just to, to give you some context, you probably can't see that quite as well as I thought you should be able to. Uh, your eyesight would have to be brilliant. You'll be able to see it on the stream, uh, no problem. Now, if you see at the bottom there, uh, that is Patmos. Remember, uh, John uh, is receiving this uh, vision from the island of Patmos. 
and we've gone up. So one, we're one, two, three, and we've gone round, and there's Thyatira uh, there. So we've looked at Pergamum, we've looked at Smyrna, uh, we've looked at uh, Ephesus uh, before that uh, too. So we're on the fourth church of the seven churches in Revelation. And we go through the churches in this kind of arc uh, shape. So we're here uh, in Thyatira. So uh, we see we're southeast uh, from Pergamum and we're further in, inland. And that is modern-day uh, Turkey. So that's where, uh, where we are. And Thyatira was, was a city of craftsmen and merchants. And uh, there is someone in the Bible that we should know that was from the place of Thyatira. And her name if you know the book of Acts, was Lydia. Uh, Lydia was from Thyatira, and she was a seller of purple cloth. Now, the other things we need to know about this city uh, is that the local god was Apollo, uh, who was uh, the sun god. And the major problem for the church in this city was posed by many of the trade guilds in the city. And there were lots of feasts that were held by these guilds in a temple, and these were viewed as religious occasions. And during these kind of feasts, meat was offered to a god, food was offered to a god, and the occasions ended up in debauchery. So there was immorality in this city. And the question that was faced by the church in Thyatira was, How could you live as a Christian in such a situation? How could a Christian participate in such meetings or in such feasts? So that's the the question that's being uh, faced by the Christians in Thyatira. And this letter addresses how they should respond. Now, remember we've gone through these letters and we see that they all kind of are in a similar uh, kind of format. Something about Jesus, something good in the church, something that's difficult uh, in the church that the church needs to address, and then some final uh, remarks. Now, the first thing I want you to notice about this church is there are some great things happening in this church in Thyatira. They are growing in grace. Jesus says in verse 19, I know your deeds, I know your love, your perseverance, and you're doing more now than you did at first. And so, what I want you to see is that in this church, they've not just believed in Jesus and and that's it. They've not been stationary in their faith, but they have moved on in their faith. They love, they have faith, they serve, they persevere. These are all great and good things within this church in Thyatira. But there are also problems in this church that the church faces. And the challenge is this prophetess Jezebel. Now, it's unlikely that this prophetess was really called Jezebel. It's more likely that she acts in the same way that Jezebel in the the Old Testament acted. Remember in the Old Testament in uh, the books of Kings, uh, that Jezebel was the queen of King Ahab. And Jezebel at that time led the Israelites, what, into? Idol worship and immorality. And so, as it's a kind of symbolic name here in Revelation where this Jezebel 
is misleading God's people with their teaching and leading them into immorality and into eating food sacrificed to idols. Now, it also seems that this Jezebel is kind of bringing in kind of Gnostic, which is kind of secret teaching, where some have learned, as you see in verse 24, Satan's so-called deep secrets. And I guess why this Jezebel has been teaching Satan's so-called deep secrets, I guess, is to try and help the church to counter them. Now, what exactly is going on here? Well, Gnosticism comes from the Greek gnostis, gnosis, and it literally means knowledge. And what's kind of happened in the church is not only is this Jezebel bringing in teaching that is, you know, saying that immorality is okay and food sacrifice to idols is okay, she also seems to be bringing in this teaching that there is kind of secret teaching secret spiritual knowledge that is above orthodox teaching. And so what happens with Gnostic teaching is that there are those, this Jezebel is saying that the straightforward message of the gospel is fine, but there's more on top. There is secret things that ordinary Christians don't know, but some special people do. And so it's elitist in that way. That's what's infiltrating into the church, saying, you know, this your your ordinary church member, if you want to put it that way, but there is a kind of spiritual elite. We wouldn't have to search too far within the church today to see places where, although orthodox on the outside, a church can be elitist and give the impression there are, are different levels of of Christianity. Whereas we know, don't we, that salvation is found in Christ alone. And that's not a secret. It's not elitist. It is for everyone. Remember, when Jesus came in the flesh, who did he come to? He didn't necessarily come to those who would see themselves as a spiritual elite, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the teachers of the law. Who did he spend time with? the downtrodden, the broken, those who were not even of the the children of Israel. Remember the Samaritan woman at the well? That's who Jesus came for. So any kind of view that says, you know, Christianity is only for the elite can never be right. You see, salvation is found in Jesus alone. And let no one trick us into any trap that says it's secret and that simply believing and trusting for Jesus for our salvation is inadequate. You see, what do we see at the beginning of this letter is a statement of who Jesus is. You see, remember, these letters always start with something about Jesus. Who is Jesus? Well, we see in this letter, he is the Son of God. It's the only place he's called such in these letters. Now, why is it important he's called the Son of God here to this church in Thyatira? Well, it's in contrast with Apollo. Who is Apollo? Apollo is the Son God. But Jesus is the Son of God. 
His eyes are blazing fire. His feet are like burnished bronze. And he's the one who's real. He's the one who's in control. He's the one who will judge those who who, who mislead. Jezebel, her children, those who have fallen into adultery with her. And then, as verse 24 says, the church will know that Jesus is the one who searches hearts and minds and who will repay according to their deeds. And so what I want you to see in the midst of all this is that there are some in this church in Thyatira who are being misled. They are falling into sin. They are falling into immorality. They are falling into idol worship. But throughout this, what I want you also to notice is there is a place for repentance. God is gracious that way. Sometimes when we read some of these words, we're like, goodness, is that what God is like? Look at the judgment he's bringing in. But remember here that God is also a God of grace. He gives time for repentance, for people to say, look, that is wrong, and I want to follow you wholeheartedly, Lord Jesus. So there are some who are being misled in this church. But there are some who are not. There are some who are faithful. There are some who don't hold on to the teaching of Jezebel. And Jesus doesn't impose anything else upon them, does he? We see that in the later verses in our our chapter, verse 24 and onwards. He doesn't impose anything upon these faithful believers except what? Except simply to hold on. To hold on. To hold on until he comes. I remember a a long time ago, and uh, being in a Sunday morning service and listening to uh, a preacher, and he said to the congregation that He'd really felt during that week that he wanted to to preach a sermon about moving forward, going forward in faith. But in his preparations, all he could find in the Bible were references to standing firm and holding on. That's all he could find in his Bible. And sometimes when we're we're, we're standing firm, we, we don't think we're going anywhere. But we are holding on to the Lord. And actually, what can be more important than that? And here in this church, in the church in Thyatira, with with so many people being misled, going in the wrong direction, there are those who are faithful, those who are loving, those who are serving, those who are persevering. They are doing what is honoring to the Lord. And Jesus says, hold on. In the midst of the the pressure that you're finding all around you, hold on. And Jesus doesn't want to add to their burdens. He doesn't say, look, you know, you're doing all the right things, but also do this and that and the next thing. He doesn't say that. What does he say? He just says, hold on. Hold on. And for us this morning here in West Kilbride Parish Church, perhaps this is just the message that we need to hear. Perhaps at this present time, life is difficult for us. Perhaps everything is falling around us. 
Perhaps we are holding on to our faith, but but only by our fingertips. But Jesus says to you this morning, hold on. Just hold on. Nothing more. Hold on. Hold on until I come. And maybe for us as a church, that is a message for us too. With all that's happening in the world, with such moral confusion, with increasing secularization, and all that's happening within the church, with temptations to compromise the message of grace about Jesus, with all the temptations to to follow the way of the world rather than to follow the way of Jesus, maybe all we need to do is to hold on to hold on to Jesus. Now, the question for us this morning is, is why bother? Why should, why should I bother? Because that's a pain, isn't it? It's hard to, to stand, isn't it? It's hard to go the opposite way to the way of the world. We feel like a, a salmon. It's, it's well known, isn't it, that salmon go upstream to breed, and they have to force their way up the, the river. It's far easier to go with the flow. It's far harder to go against the flow. Why should we do it? Well, look at the promise given to those in Thyatira. To the one who is victorious and does my will to the end, I will give authority over the nations. There will be reward. There will be justice. There will be victory. The morning star referred to in verse 28, even though Jesus himself is described as the morning star in Revelation 22. It's probably not really to do with that. What's the morning star? The morning star is, is Venus. For the Romans, it was a symbol of victory and sovereignty. The one who is in Jesus, therefore, is assured of their participation with Christ in his triumph, and in his rule. So in the church in Thyatira, we see the threats, we see the challenges, we see the false teaching, the idol worship, the immorality, those who are believing in this secret knowledge, the the elitism. In the midst of this church, we see some who are faithful, some who are loving, And Jesus says, hold on. For us today, I wonder if we need to heed both the warning and the encouragement. The warning not to stray, not to be misled, not to fall into sin and to to think that is okay. Now, you might be here today and you think, you know, I'm not going to go home and, you know, start bowing down to Apollo. You know, I don't have a shrine in my house. It's not that kind of thing. But we can fall into idolatry in other ways, can't we? Materialism. Worshipping money. Putting other things before God. We're not to be misled. But we are to strive to live holy for the Lord. Standing firm. Holding on. Because the encouragement is twofold if we do. 
Firstly, the encouragement is that Jesus will return. That's a great theme of Revelation, isn't it? That Jesus will return again. Sometimes I don't think we truly believe it in the church. Do you believe that Jesus will return? Sometimes we don't think, really, that Jesus will return. Time's gone on. We just think, you know, we're 2021 now. You know, it's never going to happen. We just can't imagine it in our heads. But Scripture says He will return. And we need to hold on until He comes or until He calls us home. He will return. And He will make all things right and all things new. And secondly, when we do hold on, and I wonder if you truly believe this this morning, He gives us the victory. Do you believe that today? That the victory is found in Jesus? Why is it not worth worshipping idols, falling into immorality? Why is it worth standing firm, holding on for Jesus? Because at the end of the day, it's worth it. It's worth it because it's real. Jesus is real. God is real. He's worth much more than any of these other things. When we hold on, He gives us the victory. And we are included in Jesus' triumph and will judge the nations. Can you imagine that? If you're a believer in Jesus, you're going to judge the nations. That's kind of mind-blowing, isn't it? That's what Scripture says. Today, are we holding on? Are we holding firmly to Jesus as individuals and as the church? Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Amen.